0: Mark chapter 2. Before I read, I want to help you understand here what's going on. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was the tax collector, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus be revealed as the king, the coming Messiah. We see a lot of genealogy in Matthew about where Jesus came from and how he came about. And we see him as the coming Messiah. We see a lot of prophecy fulfilled and discussed in Matthew and Mark, when you read through Mark, you'll notice a, a repetition of a phrase, immediately. Mark was really, seemed to be a really excitable dude. Everything immediately happened. I, I probably like Mark. I like things immediately. All right. In Mark, we see a servant of Jesus. Mark gives us a description of Jesus as a servant most of the time. He came to serve and he came to sacrifice and when you see that servanthood, you'll see Jesus often refer to himself, as I said earlier, as the son of man. And Luke, Luke was a physician, a family physician. So Luke kind of reveals Jesus to us um, with his documentation. Physicians have to document things. If you're in the medical field, you know about documentation. It's very important. Uh, I audit surgical logs. And... Um, I work for the Department of Surgery and so every surgery that happens um, it comes across my desk or my partner's desk and we look at every single surgery over 300 surgeries a day five six different facilities and um, documentation is important it it gives life to the situation it shows us compassion and it shows us the depth and so Luke gives us that he gives us things and we might not find in the other Gospels John John you have to remember John was close to Jesus There's a lot of compassion there. John talks about Jesus as the Son of God, the deity. And you'll see in John the seven miracles of Jesus or the seven signs. So in Mark, we have this immediate story. And we'll flip to Luke and we'll look at Luke's, just a couple clips from Luke's version because Luke gives us a perspective we don't have in Mark. So let's read what it says. Mark chapter 2. Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. And again, he entered Capernaum, or Capernaum, however you'd like to say it, after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. If you want to do a study, read through the Gospels, and every time you hear that, see that word, heard, see what happens after. There's something about hearing. There's something about hearing that happens. Right? What did Thomas say? I'm not going to believe Jesus is resurrected until you take me and show me his scars, and I can put my hand through it. And what does the gospel say? Blessed is the one who doesn't see, yet believes. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Okay. Faith comes by hearing. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, listen, in Luke chapter 5, you don't have to go there, Tommy. I'm just going to read this. All right, Luke comes after Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 5, we have a little bit of description here from the doctor. He says this. They had come out of every town. They were sitting by. They would come out of every town, every Pharisee and teacher of the law, every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. okay. So who was sitting around? Broken, messed up people? No. All the religious leaders. Okay, we have to keep that in mind. Who's in the house right now? So immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room for them to receive him, not even at the door. He preached the word to them. Then they came to him, to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed. In, in uh, Luke, it says the, the uh, stretcher. Let's see here. Let me find the word. Um, they, I mean, they put the whole thing in there. They didn't just take him off the stretcher and drop him. They... They put the whole thing in. <clears throat> so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? It didn't say that he actually heard them talking. He was understanding what they were thinking without them even saying it. So which is, he said to them, which is easier? He just confronted them on their thoughts. What's easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to you, arise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose and took up his bed, went out in the presence of them all. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So not only did they bring the man into the house, Jesus forgave him of his sins, But he said, to prove to you that I have power on earth, get up and walk. Because they didn't believe that that was possible. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I am nothing without you. Holy Spirit, you're doing a work in my heart. I need this encouragement this morning. I need my faith stirred this morning. I need my faith built up this morning. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that I didn't come here to share the room with you or to share the microphone with you. I came here to surrender this morning, and Holy Spirit, give you the microphone that you may glorify yourself and bring a revelation to your people, Lord, that would draw them to you, God. Have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Open up our eyes, unlock our ears, soften our hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, that not only we would receive what you have to say to us, but we would act on it and apply it to our lives and be transformed by your power. That we may be a witness to a lost and broken world. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross, that we're all seated in here today. This not just be another service and another meeting, but, Lord, I believe that there's a desperate plea in this house this morning that someone came to get to Jesus. Someone came because the burden is too heavy. Someone came because they need you like never before, and they don't even understand their need. So, Father, this morning, as I present your word to your people, God, that you just use me as an instrument. Because it's not by me, but it's by your spirit. So, Father, I just surrender myself to you this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about realizing my can't. Realizing my can't. We see here in the story, we know that these men went and tore this roof off. Let me give you a little bit of background on the housing in Capernaum. Capernaum is in Palestine, and in those times, here's what it was. The houses were made, and the roofs were flat. There were stairs that went up the outside of the house to the top of the roof. Often, that's a place where they went for whatever, dinners, meals, gathering place, okay? So there was some significance there about the homes in this area, The roof was two beams, and it was sewn with reeds and sticks. And then they took clay and mud, and they had a roller, and they would roll the roof, and the sun would bake clay, and it would become hard, like tile. In the the book of Mark, or Luke, that's what he says. He says these men ripped the tiles off the roof. Right? Right? Did they really have tile back then? No. The clay was baked so hard, it was like a tile surface. But we also have to understand something. Capernaum at this time was a pretty good neighborhood. Capernaum was probably a high end village. Capernaum was a place where a lot of European settlers came that had a lot of money. This wasn't the ghetto, it wasn't the projects. It was a place of prestige. And we're not quite sure if this was actually Jesus' home when he lived with Peter, if this was the place where he was dwelling. A lot of philosophers are referring to this as the place where Jesus lived, he returned to the place. When Jesus began his ministry, he went around the Sea of Galilee, and we, we see the crowds <clears throat> thronging against him and pushing him, and he went away, and he went to different cities and different cities. And finally, at some point, Jesus had to come back to Capernaum. And this is one of the places where he's coming back. I might just have to preach without my notes because it's in my heart, guys. Jesus came back to a place that may have been uncomfortable and challenging. He came back to a place of discomfort that could have brought many controversies with it. We know that he had to make it to Golgotha. We know that he had to make it to Calvary. Calvary. And we see all throughout the scriptures that at many times Jesus says we had to go another way because they would kill me and it wasn't my time yet. But he's coming back to a place that he was already pushed out once before. And at this time we see that he gathers all the rulers of the law, all the Pharisees in the house, and he's teaching them. And here comes four men carrying a paralytic. These four men arrive at this home. And what's the first thing that happened? The crowd filled the home, it filled the outside of the door. It said they couldn't get in. Listen, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, did they turn around? I'm on my way to church, but I don't have enough money to get gas. Bless it. The Lord will bless me. I tried. I was hurt really bad this morning. I'm going to stay at home and watch this on TV. Bless it, Lord. I don't like that person that sits in the back corner, how they talk to me. That person took my seat. I'm not lying. Billy and I went to a church we were on staff at. And we sat down and this person came up to us and told us, you're in my seat. We thought they were laughing. We just, how, how you doing today? He stood there until we got up and moved. I've been my head today. I can't be around anybody. I'm angry today. Can I tell you something? I, I told the people in my depression class this. You're going to get me, 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 and me. 7 a.m., 12 p.m., 1, 2, 3, before, after, in the middle, hungry, angry, all of it. If he makes me mad on my way to church, I'm coming to church mad. Does that mean I react and respond to you out of my anger? No, I have self-control according to the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to let what's going on in my head and what's going on with my emotions prevent me from coming to a place that I know I ought to be because my Bible tells me not to forsake the assembling of the saints. We're not to forsake gathering together with our brothers and sisters. We're not to forsake a moment where iron can sharpen iron, where I might need a word and I need to hear from the Holy Spirit. I'm so caught up in my mess, I can't hear him on my own. I need somebody to sit down beside me and hold my hand and say, I'm glad you're here today. Proverbs says an on-time word is good. It is good. It is good. There was no room. These men carried a paralytic. We don't even know how far they carried him. But I can assure you, if you've ever been a pallbearer at a funeral, it's not a pleasant feeling. That's heavy stuff. But they weren't carrying no dead man. They weren't carrying a man that wasn't coming back. They were carrying a purpose. And maybe there's some of you in here this morning, you're carrying a purpose. You're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you. It's not dead. It is not dead. It is not broken. You carried this thing for a really long time and your back is about to be broke. Your circumstances are challenging and that thing is weighing on you. You don't know how much longer you can carry it. You don't know how much farther you can carry this thing. Maybe you carried it to church one Sunday. Maybe you carried it to church one Wednesday. Maybe you went to a small group. Maybe you carried it to your pastor. Maybe you carried it to a pastor. You arrive at a place that was full of spiritual, religious leaders. And you had this burden that was heavy. And they didn't open the door and say, we see you. Come on in. You had an expectation from someone in leadership in church. And you thought that they ought to see your need. They ought to be moved with compassion if they're full of the Holy Spirit. And you arrive at a place and they all turn their backs on you because they're so focused on Jesus for themselves. They don't have a yielding to the Holy Spirit to turn around and serve anyone else. They want it all for themselves so they can do the same thing that they've always done, which is nothing without Jesus, nothing without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have arrived at a place Where people in leadership have turned their backs on you. What do we call it? Common courtesy? Love? I don't know know what I'm looking for. What do we call it? The man who always opens the door for his wife. The person with a moral conscience that when you see someone struggling, you hold the door for them. I mean, we got handicap signs in front of every business, every church, every restaurant. Often if our hearts are right, we'll make a way for someone who can't help themselves, right? Right? But we have a house full of religious people. They know more scripture than I do. They know more theology than I do. They can read and rewrite scrolls. I can't. I just came today to give you a word out of Mark chapter 2. And tell you this. You arrived with a burden and you arrived with a need and you stood in a place carrying something that was heavy, whether it was for someone else or for yourself. And you stood before leaders in your church. You stood before leaders in your community. You stood before people who should have been right with the Lord, who should have held your hand and walked with you through that thing. They should have lifted up your hands and pointed you to Jesus. They should have got on their knees and prayed with you. They should have met you at the courthouse. They should have met you when you were in court fighting custody over your kids. They should have met you at that funeral home. They should have walked with your hand when you got out of the emergency Because you overdosed and they didn't show up. Can I just tell you on behalf of those men and women who are human and we fail? I get that. But there if there was never a reverend response of apology to you, can I stand here right now on behalf of them and say I'm sorry? Sorry. Sorry we didn't see your need. Sorry we didn't show up. Sorry we didn't come through. Sorry we failed. Sorry we were too selfish, getting all of Jesus for ourselves. Sorry that burden was so heavy. I'm sorry that that burden you carried might have been someone else's life. I'm sorry. But let's see what else happened here. The men were not stopping. They weren't stopping. They said, we see the crowd, the doorway's full. I don't know, but we came to get to Jesus. I came to get to a healer. I came to get to a deliverer. I came with a purpose, and I'm not leaving until I walk in my purpose. They went up to the roof. Now, don't you imagine at some point, someone would have come out and said, What in the world are you doing? Why are you digging a hole in this roof? Don't you know that this house is full of leaders, men and women who are called by God? Who do you think you are? This was an upscale neighborhood, men and women. Go to Ashley Plantation and start tearing someone's shingles off. I guarantee you'll get met with a shotgun. Listen, we did a landscaping project last year at our home. Our backyard was mud when we moved in. We have a nice cement patio. It's about 15 by 12. It's beautiful. We had no grass. We have red clay. So we are giving our dog a bath in the basement every day. He goes in and out before he runs to the house. Our basement floors are red. They've yet to be cleaned. and At this point, I don't have time. But we did a project. We dug up all the soil, this is our pad. We dug up all the soil from the edge of our home. We made this nice little roundabout, come around the patio, you know, this little thing. We went over to the edge of our kitchen door, which leads to the sidewalk out to the driveway. We had a shovel and a shovel. We were stupid. We went out i was pregnant two years ago yeah i take that back i was not pregnant this was a ministry of my anxiety i dug that whole yard up by myself he didn't touch a thing that's how anxious i was listen i struggle with anxiety so bad after depression i mean after my baby i thought i was gonna die every single day of my life I had major anxiety. And uh, I got help for that, don't worry. (laughs) But I went out there, I was on a mission. I was gonna dig the yard up. We ordered, I don't know, 100 bags of mulch from Lowe's. They put the pallet in our driveway. And I don't stop until I'm finished. (laughs) It ain't gonna get half done. We're not gonna work on this tomorrow. Tomorrow your girl's gonna be in bed. (laughs) So I began to dig. It was early that morning we started, man, I dug. Finally he says, you wanna dig an iron? How about a spade? What the heck is that? But if it'll help, let's go. So I'm digging, digging, I'm hurting, I'm digging. We're digging up all this dirt and it took me like, I don't know, six hours. Took me six hours just to dig out, and I only dug like, you know, just the grass, just the sod, about three inches, and we replanted those chunks in the rest of our yard, made up for some of the mud until our grass grew in. Took me six hours to dig all that stuff up. And you got four men carrying a paralytic who laid him somewhere. We don't even know what they began to dig with, but they weren't digging up dirt and grass. There were beams. There were reeds, there were sticks, there was clay that was rolled and dried and rolled and dried and rolled and dried that became like tile. Has anybody ever tried to dig up a tile floor? I mean, I don't even know what you do, hammerage, I just set it on fire. (laughs) Burn it down and start over. (laughs) They began to dig. Fight at the front door. We're going to go in a different way. I don't care what it looks like, but I'm getting to Jesus. Who knows how long it took these men on the roof digging a hole in tile and clay that was dried into tile hard. You get to the beams. I mean, I don't think a shovel's going to cut a beam in half. I don't know what they use, but I can tell you this they were persistent with their need. They were persistent with their problem. They were persistent with the burden that the Lord honored them to carry. Why in the world did not at some point someone come out and say, mercy of heaven just come in the front door? I mean, Jesus was in there. Why didn't he? Yo, get out of the way. This is Jesus. Get out of the way. My brother has a need. Let them bring the man in here. We can be on with our business. Jesus never did that. Sometimes we read the story, we read it for what it is, but why don't we read it with a conscious reminder of what isn't there? Why didn't Jesus respond? You go to church, your pastor's preaching, you got a kid squawking. You ever had somebody come up to you? I mean, they're interrupting Jesus, and he didn't go out there and say, we got healing ministry over there. <laughs> hours. This had to have been hours. There's no way that this was a five-minute job. They dropped an entire stretcher. I don't think it was a stretcher we have in our ambulances today. It has a fancy legs that come out. It was probably two sticks and a, cot, a cloth. It was a cot. So There wasn't no fancy dropping the wheels on that thing, man. I don't know if they wrapped the man up, Stucky. We don't know how it happened. We don't have a clear account. But what I could tell you there was a clear account of that day. There were four men. There were four men who heard about Jesus. Are you the four men? Are you the four men? Who do you need to bring to Jesus? What burden are you carrying for someone else? Heavy. Who in your family needs to be saved? They didn't say that this man was family. Who you drink coffee with at work? Who needs an encounter with Jesus? What's breaking your back? What are you carrying? If your back's not being broken and you're not carrying something, are you really carrying the glory of the Lord? You know, we could say that We walk in a persecuted time, but I don't even think we know persecution. We could say we walk in a moment where our freedoms in our country are being challenged, but I don't think we even know what that means. There might be some talk, but we've yet to lose our freedom. Let me ask you a question. When you left your home this morning, did you hide your Bible? Did you text anyone? Did they know that you were on your way to a gathering place to talk about Jesus? Did you refrain from anyone knowing your whereabouts today? Before you walked out of the door to your home, did you kiss your children on the forehead and tell them, listen, when we walk out of this house today, Mommy and Daddy love you. But there's a chance we could be taken from you. There's a chance if somebody sees that Bible in our car, we could go to jail. There is a chance you may never see us again. When you pulled up to this place today, did you look around for the authorities? Did you look around? Are you sitting in here right now wondering if someone's going to bust through that door and burn his place down? Men and women, we need to wake up. There is a reality of our brothers and sisters who live in communist countries like China Did you know that China also has the greatest move of God in the largest churches in our world? They will sneak out to jungles and sit in abandoned, burned down, broken buildings and they will sit there to worship God. And they will commit their lives to him, life or death. They pack up all their belongings. They go to this place. I'm going to learn about Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. And when I get out of here, if it costs me my life, I came to this place with everything I had. Send me as a martyr. Send me as a missionary. I know that I'm not going back. Did you come here this morning with everything in your coffin packed to serve the Lord? That challenges me. They will sit in rooms in China in complete silence. They all know that they love Jesus, but if they open up their mouths, they'll be beheaded. They sit there in silence. We got to put denominations on this thing. We call ourselves Pentecostal. We think we have to be loud and crazy. But can I tell you something? The power and the presence of Jesus doesn't always equate loud and crazy. I don't know about you, but I encountered Jesus in my bedroom. I wasn't at church. I wasn't in front of my pastor. I was sitting on my bed with tears rolling down my cheeks, wondering what's going on in my life. How do I get out of the situation I'm in? Lord, if you're really there, do you really hear me? I had an encounter with Jesus in my bedroom. I just feel like there should be more of a persistence on our behalf. There should be more of a will. There should be more of a determination. We can't get but this far. I made it this far. Bless me, Lord. <clears throat> I threw the cigarettes away. I'm good. Lord, so what about gossip? Oh. Well, It's just a prayer meeting, just my prayer partner. Lord, you you got, I'm good right here. You got me this far. I'm good. Hmm. (laughs) Maybe he's saying, whole heart, whole heart at work. Stop being distracted. Give your whole heart, give your whole heart at work. Stop being distracted. Maybe it's school. Lord calls us to be a good steward. Lord, I went to church. I'm good. I'm gonna put my textbook under my pillow and pass this exam. Come on, guys. Serious. I did that. You know what I did? You know I did, Connor? I ran track. And I put my Bible in my duffel bag and went to every track meet. Did I serve God? Absolutely not. I put my Bible in my track bag and went to every track meet in high school. I was a standout athlete. My name was going to hit the paper the next day. Was it because of God? No. But as long as I had my Bible, there was just something about it that I thought was okay. But my track meets didn't save me. My athletic abilities didn't land me in the throne room one day. They actually took me really far away from God until I had an encounter at the bottom of a pit when I'm looking for hope in the bottom of a bottle and I'm finding relationships in the same sex and I'm doing nothing that God has ever called me to do. That's where my athletic abilities got me because they took me so far away whatever God was calling me to. And until I walked in a moment when I realized that my identity isn't in my performance, my identity isn't in my accolades, my identity isn't in my academics, my identity is not in my athletic abilities to perform and make the front page of a paper and get a scholarship to school or to become a professional soccer player or to be noted in the papers for my accomplishments on the soccer field. My identity was in none of those things, and I really didn't know that. So when those things came crashing down, guess what else came crashing down? All of me. When my marriage was falling apart, guess what I realized? My identity is not in my marriage. Guess what else I realized? That what God has for me, what God has for me, what he planned to do in my life was not dependent upon his decisions. Man, that set me free. I didn't make him or marriage an idol, but when you're walking through a difficult thing, oh, you grab a hold of that thing and you're wanting to try to fix it until you realize there's only one fixer. Are you willing to break the back of hell? Are you willing to break the back of hell? You're carrying something that's breaking your back. Maybe you're carrying a person that's breaking your back. Maybe that thing that's on your stretcher is that person who literally is dangling over hell. Are you willing to break the back of hell for that person? Because if you let that burden break your back, guess what? You're going down with them. Well, Christina, I thought the word says, you know, that the Lord is with me and... You know, he won't give me more than I can handle. Somebody tell me where that is, the Lord won't give you more than you can handle. Tell me. what scripture? It says, listen, it says, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he tells you that the burdens of this world will crush you. They will crush you. Because he must be proven greater, not you. He must be proven greater, not you and not me. I have news for you. You're not the superhero in this story. And I'm not either. Galatians 5 tells us this. Each one carries his own load, but bear burdens for one another. Well, what does that mean? Well, Megan, it means you pay your grocery bill. Bear your own load, sugar. (laughs) But when Megan has a need that's producing fruit in her life, that's walking her into the things that God has, when Megan has a need and God is trying to reveal himself, that's the burden, Eric, that we're supposed to carry. That's That's the burden that we're supposed to carry. (laughs) Megan needs lots of baby gifts. right? But you know what her burden is? You, Lenore, encouraging her in her moments as a parent when she's frail and when she's discouraged and when she needs somebody to come to her house and wash her clothes. That's a burden. That's a burden. Listen. I don't have much more. I have pages, but I've already talked about it. Maybe today you realize this. I realize this. I don't have to come to church to get to Jesus. I didn't come with a shovel today. You didn't either. We didn't have to come in here. There's nobody currently right now tearing the roof out. We've already encountered the presence and the glory of the Lord this morning. It wasn't because we banged down a door, knocked out a wall. It's because he, he was the sacrifice that tore the veil. He was the veil that was torn, that we could enter the holy place, that we could have everything that he has commissioned for us to have on behalf of heaven. So maybe this morning, if I don't have to tear off the roof, what do I have to do, Christina? Maybe you just need to make room in your heart. Maybe you need to make room in your life. Maybe you need to figure out what it is. And maybe you need to move a wall of bitterness. Maybe you need to kick that thing down. Unforgiveness. Maybe you have a wrong narrative about something. Billy and I were talking about this, I don't know, this morning or last night. He said something about, I don't know, I won't embarrass him. (laughs) He said, he said, it's a contractor thing. I was like, well, I'm that's Rocky about this. Okay, he said, if you hold a sledgehammer, he said, he said, you hold a sledgehammer, and you just move it towards your nose real slow. I said, why would somebody do that? You'll break your face. (laughs) Who in the world? He's like, oh, it's a game. You know, Billy, he grew up, oh my gosh, a working child because his parents were not there. But listen bless his heart he said it's a thing they do out there when they're building houses they hold the sledgehammer up you just move it real slow he said some people's wrists can't take a bonk i was like so you want to take a challenge of breaking I, I don't care if you break your nose but i'm worried about you cracking your skull open like to me that'd be like playing russian roulette and he's like oh no that's a it's a guy thing okay i said billy i don't know that contractors really play that game i think that's a wrong narrative you you were tricked into doing that as a child laborer, <laughs> and uh, I don't know that that's does ever that, is that really what happens that, that people do dumb things. All right, bless him, Lord. <laughs> All right, so here's my wrong narrative. Growing up, <clears throat> my grandparents have had dentures ever since I've ever known my grandparents. They've had dentures, and uh, I just th- always thought that growing up, when you get old, you get dentures. I didn't know people, old people still had teeth. I thought every old person still just gets dentures. Like I just thought it was the thing because that's all I saw in my grandparents growing up. And I um, love my grandparents to death. So we'd be out with friends doing whatever. And um, we, my, my granddad, he's on the little side of crazy, right? We have our friends and my granddad, hey, how you doing? Flick his, <laughs> flick his dentures out. And my friends are like, ooh so we were like, hey, granddad, do it, do it again. So I mean, we'd egg it on. Like, hey, granddad, we got some new friends. Me and my grandparents, they came to all of our sporting events. I mean, they really took care of us as kids. And uh, so that was our thing. Granddad and my grandma, we'd be going out Ponderosa or whatever. She'd go to the bathroom, pop them out, wash them out, stick them back in. So we didn't even know my grandma had dentures until like kind of older because she was so secretive about it. You now she could pop them things out, Ponderosa, rinse them out, put them back in. You'd never even know. So, my wrong narrative was thinking that everybody has dentures. All old people have dentures, right? But I wonder sometimes if we have wrong narrative about Jesus. Because, see, I think that there was a narrative in this story. It kind of went like this. You saved him. You forgave him of his sins. How can you do that? Why don't you just heal him? Oh, he had sin in his life. So that's why you forgave him first and then healed him. Well, I think that's a wrong narrative. We see in the scriptures where sin in our lives can result in affirmity and affliction. We clearly see that. Man, you've got bitterness in your heart. I can guarantee you might have some heart problems. You got some sin in your life. It's going to put you in a hospital with some stuff, and you might think it's some stuff, but it really is some stuff going on. But that's not the problem here. That was a wrong narrative. We have our narratives about Jesus wrong. We think if we come and we dance and we do certain things, we'll encounter Him. No. But let me tell you something. There is something about the presence of God where we better be yielding to the Holy Spirit. And when he says, play that song again, Tommy, we better not miss it. There is something about the presence of the Holy Spirit that we need to be yielding. Every word does matter. Every scripture does matter. Every song does matter. You know what I love the most? We don't have a worship team, but can y'all tell me who leads worship? It doesn't take someone doing that or that or that to lead worship. There's a man in this room that leads worship, and he's never seen. His name's Tommy. But listen, guys, we have wrong narratives. We have wrong, and we could go on the list. There are so many narratives. We make God out to be a sleepy grandpa because that's the daddy figure we had growing up. We make God out to be a Nazi dictator because that's the daddy we had growing up. We make God out to be the absent parent because that's who we had growing up. Listen to me, if I could ever tell you one thing, majority of the things you face as an adult is based on the circumstances and how you were raised as a child. Your environment as a child has more influence on you than the devil. But you know what statistics say? I love this because everything comes out of the word there's nothing new under the sun right and we try to make psychology and sociology and blah blah blah, blah, blah all these Woo, man we have this no it all came from right here you just took it and made it in your own words twisted it around some of it might be okay it all came from this but you know what they say they say this they say you got an alcoholic daddy. You're likely to grow up with an alcohol problem. You're likely to grow up and have depression or anxiety or lots of pro- whatever. Okay. You grow up in you know this kind of situation. Like you're genetically dispositioned to have problems based on the genealogy of your family. Can I tell you something? Science. We don't like that word, science. <laughs> this is what science is now saying. Neuroscientist says this. <clears throat> Psychology is now saying this. 95% of your problems in adulthood are not because of your genetics. They're based on your environment and how you grew up. So if you're going to come to me and talk to me and say, I'm just like my daddy, I'm going to say, yes, you are, girl. Don't come to me and say, I struggle with that. Just like my mom. Just like, no, no, no. Remember that mirror we had up here last week? You struggle with that maybe because you have the wrong narrative of that and you just need to get into some presence of some people who might can point you in the right direction and say that's not okay but this is what you're doing let me tell you a little bit about it I'm not trying to call you out and condemn you what I'm trying to tell you is that there's a different way to do this thing you learned this over here from this situation that wasn't okay but this is really how we do it okay 95%. 95%. That's crazy. That means that this is infallible. Not that I needed a scientific quote to tell you that this is infallible, but this is infallible. Yeah. It says that he will give you everything you need to know to change your generation based on your choices. Read it, Second Peter. Read it. So these men put... The paralytic down in front of Jesus and he says this by their faith I forgive you of your sins who are we dropping before Jesus who are we dropping before Jesus who are you dropping it before Jesus in your prayer closet Lisa who are we dropping before Jesus There's a significance to that. There's a significance about getting people to Jesus. I don't need them to come to my church. I don't need them to come to my outreach. I don't need them to come to Understanding Depression. I don't need somebody to meet me here on a Wednesday night for a special counseling session. I need to get somebody to Jesus. And I got news for you, men and women. He was the veil that was torn. You get in your prayer closet and you get them to Jesus. What obstacle are you facing today that you feel like you can't get to Jesus? What person has stood in your life and prevented you from getting to Jesus? What leader? Let's be real. There are people who have tainted my view of things in leadership. What stood at the door? What was the obstacle? Tommy, you can just play some instrumental music. That'd be great. I'm almost done because I'm sweating. (laughs) Listen. The chances of this paralytic man getting to Jesus was never. Really. If you're at home dying from a heart attack and there's no such thing as a rescue squad, what are your chances? Really never. Billy's grandpa had a stroke, was able to call right away. Paramedics came, they were able to give him that magic drug and boom, snapped out of a stroke like that. But the chances of that happening are very small. Right, Amanda? It's got to happen pretty quick. What are your chances of getting your situation to Jesus? What's the burden that you're bearing? Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're realizing you can't. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't. Because you know the paralytic couldn't, and they carried him, and carried him, and carried him. And I can imagine there might have been blisters on their shoulders. They were hurting. They were tired. Maybe it was a hot day. He couldn't get there, but they were going to bear his cant. They were bearing his cant. And they get to the house, and what happened? They couldn't. What is stopping you at your cant? You're sitting in your moment right now in your life. Wherever you are, what is your cant? What is the cant of the person sitting next to you? What is the cant of the people walking around at your job? What is the cant of the circumstances in your family? What is the cant of the financial burden that you bear? What is the cant of the disease and sickness and illness in your body that the doctor diagnosed you of? What is your cant? When it might cost me something, what am I willing to do to get to Jesus? I'm quite certain that they called those men fools for tearing the roof off don't think they called the homeowner's insurance, but I can tell you this. If homeowners would have shown up, some men would have ended up in jail. What are you willing to do? It might cost you something. It might cost you something. What are you willing to do to get to Jesus? What are you willing to do to grab that person by the arm and get them to Jesus? At the same time, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Listen, First Timothy 6, 7, does anybody know that off the top of your head? Let me help you out. You came into this world with nothing, you will leave with nothing. David, you came into this world with nothing. You'll leave with nothing. Why don't you at least take your family with you? Hannah, why don't you take your friends with you? Nothing else is going to heaven except people. Maybe this morning you need to revisit that place of confrontation in your heart. You need to revisit that place of pain, that place of hurt, that place of resistance, that place where it was uncomfortable. You need to come back to that place because God wants to do something right there. He doesn't care who's around. He doesn't care how many Pharisees are in the room. He is here for you and me this morning. I came with a need this morning. I came for him this morning. Maybe we begin to put walls up around our heart. Our heart has become hardened. Like I just said, we didn't come here to tear off the roof, but man, you have to make room in your heart, in your life today. Maybe you need to tear off your roof. Can I tell you something? I believe with everything in me that the Holy Spirit is tearing down walls right now. He's opening up hearts. The scripture tells us that he takes your heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh. The scripture tells me the Holy Spirit reveals truth, that he's the drawer of man's heart. I believe with everything in me this morning, the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart, tearing down walls, making you flesh so he can minister to you and he can minister to me. The Holy Spirit What he's doing this morning, there's some dry bones that are coming back to life. They're coming back to life. There's a sound. There's a sound. There's a knocking. There's a moving. There's a bending. And there's a sound. There's got to be a sound when there's life. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He let the man tear into that roof for hours, in the middle of his leadership meeting, pastors' conference, church growth conference. There we go. That's even better. Jesus was not interrupted by our by our clever agendas. He doesn't care about your leadership conference or your church grow conference. The agenda of Jesus is to get to the lost and get to the broken and make them heal and make them whole. The moment we begin attending conferences and trying to figure out how to run our church, where to put the door, how to put the chairs, where to put the piano, we've left the Holy Spirit out of the picture. Oh, I can run right now. Pretty sure I put my heel on Dennis' forehead last week. Listen to me. I hope I missed you, Dennis. There might be some people in your way. There might have been some leaders in your way. But I got news for you there's another door. There is another door. And if you're not welcome there, go somewhere else. Because there is nothing, no criteria to get to Jesus. He is no respecter of persons. I'm going to leave you with this and let you respond. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me strength. You're sitting here this morning you can't fix it you can't change it you can't control it maybe you didn't cause it who or what is your can't what is the can't of the burden you're carrying what is the can't of the person You've been crying out for. What is that can't? What is the can't of your marriage? What's the can't of your children? What's the can't of your mother and father? What's the can't of your brother and sister? What is their can't this morning? What is the can't? What has you so paralyzed that you can't get to Jesus? Jesus. What is it? Luke, the family doctor. Ooh, I have to believe that Luke, the family doctor, was so filled with the Holy Spirit when he said this because his account of this situation begins like this. Mark's account didn't begin like this. Listen at Luke's account. The physician, the great documentator. Is that a word? It is now. Listen to what he says. When it happened, on a certain day, he was teaching. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town, Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And Paul tells us one specific thing. This is in Luke 5, 17. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Think about that. Heal who? The leaders? Jesus show up, he shows up with an agenda. He shows up with an agenda. On behalf of the Holy Spirit, I showed up today with an agenda. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. He forgave the man first before he healed him. Why didn't he heal him first? If Luke's account says he was there to heal them. Because with Jesus comes exousia power, authority to claim ground, authority for the kingdom, authority to walk up in the middle of a bunch of cars and say, Stop! Authority to tell the devil, Get out of my head! Authority! Exousia authority is the Son of Man. But do you know what Luke started out with? Oh, come on. Pastor, listen to this. (laughs) He said this. He came, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That word power in that scripture right there means dunamis power. Dunamis power. Dynamite. Bang. Bang. You know what that scripture is saying? You guys know what Acts 1-8 says. Tell me. And the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and what? What does Acts 1-8 say? The Holy Spirit, when he comes on you, he will give you power to be a witness. To me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Oh, somebody, that ought to set you free. That set me free last night. Listen to me. You know what that word means? Dunamis, power. Dunamis is the Greek of that word, power. It means the power to work miracles. It means the power of strength. It means the power of ability. Oh. Men and women, listen, I hope you have this same awakening in your spirit right now that I had. I don't have to have a calling to heal people. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon me and made me a, give me power to be a witness. I have the dunamis power of the blood of Jesus to lay hands on people and for them to rise up and walk out of their paralysis. Oh, come on. That ought to set us free this morning. Hey, we don't got to call the evangelist in from California to come here so you can receive your healing this morning you're going to receive your healing this morning because I believe with everything in me the dunamis power of God is present in this room and this morning he wants to reach down out of that roof and grab your heart and pull something out of you and get to a moment in your life a situation in your marriage a health issue in your body and he wants to say get up off that bed and walk get up off that bed and walk oh bless the Lord (laughs) Anything left. I came to pour my heart out. I came to pour my heart out. I hope you know this morning. Couple things. What's your can't? Have you realized it? What's your can't? Have you realized it? What is the can't? that you're carrying for someone else. What has paralyzed you from being <laughs> the sound of dry bones coming to life? What has paralyzed you? What's paralyzing your marriage? What is the can of your children? What is your can't? What is your can? Mm. Welcome to Capernaum. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. maybe you need to hear that again they heard that jesus was in the house just wait right here. Holy Spirit's here. He's dealing with your hearts right now. He's dealing with my heart. Maybe you need to make room in your house this morning for Jesus. Maybe all of you hasn't been surrendered to all of him because people in the church have hurt you, shunned you, turned their backs, said they didn't have time, didn't open the door and didn't make a way. This morning, I believe with everything in me is a now moment for you to come to Jesus. Mm. It's a now moment for you to not put your trust and hope in man, but in God. you this on my behalf and I think I can speak on behalf of pastor if we hurt you or offend you come talk to us and we will say that we're sorry we will tell you that we're sorry I need you and you might need me one day Not worth it. It is not worth it. Let's not be a house of grumblers. Let's not be a people who are catty. Let's do what the Word of God says and go to our brother and sister.